Have you ever wondered how the separate threads of your life fit in to one big picture? How the individual moments of challenge and triumph connect to one another to form the great meaning of your life? I am Anna Mullins, your Life Story Editor, and I'm convinced that making sense of our deepest pain can help us understand our deepest purpose. In my speaker training program and on this podcast, I help people weave together those confusing, often shameful pieces of their past, revealing the life-changing lessons that create their profound new story. Welcome to Unapologetic Stories, where secrets are out and the truth is in. Welcome back, storytellers. I am here today with a fabulous guest, Fabulous, and I'm going to introduce him to you now, just like this. For years, for years, Nicole Howes lived with cancer, but it was on the morning of February 26th, 1999, that she took her last breath. Along with his dad and brother, her young teenage son, Trevor, stood next to her, holding onto her hand as she died. Though in some way, he always imagined cancer would be part of his own destiny too, Trevor was still shocked into disbelief to find out at the end of 2020 that he too was now facing a diagnosis at a very young age. After hearing the word malignant, malignant in those awful quotation marks, he took a moment to catch his breath and knew he had a decision to make. Does he turn left or right or both? Where do you go when you get a scary diagnosis? All of those questions. Do I even have what it takes to fight this on my own? And the morning of his first hospital visit, scared and full of uncertainty, Something inside of Trevor just said, run, run. And that is exactly what he did. He just ran. And during the running, which we will explain a little bit later as well, something magical happened, which for now we'll call the power of imagination, but maybe even a greater power that has brought him here with us today as a storyteller. And with that power and the help of family friends, and many strangers even, he found the courage, not the fearlessness, I'm going to put that out there, the courage, he found the courage to move forward. And more importantly, he found the vulnerability needed to embrace the idea that if he was going to get through this, he would need to welcome in support. It's just that simple. And his motto quickly became, you don't have to go through this alone. You don't have to go through this alone. Trevor, I look forward to all the episodes I record, every last one of them, but this one feels big for me in a different sort of way. And I've been looking forward to it for a really long time. I am so glad to have you here. And I love the power of just that story that you shared that I could share with our audience just to open this show. Welcome, Trevor House, to Unapologetic Stories. Thank you so much. And I am really happy, honored, excited, a little anxious. <laughs> That's okay. To, we do anxiety to, here. Right? We do. We sure do. We need to lean into that um, <laughs> to be here. And I have to admit that hearing you share those words, I feel a bit emotional. Mm, me too. Yeah, I feel emotional. I can feel the hair on my arms stand up and I feel a little clammy, but not in a bad way, Mm. in a way that tells me this is life and here, right. And here we are. And I'm speaking (laughs) very slowly right now because I'm thinking about my words, right. You can probably hear it in my tempo. And I'm feeling really reflective 
because while it's been over 20 years since my mom died of cancer and I was with her holding her hand with my brother and my dad in her bedroom with the magenta colored walls and the garden motif wallpaper border. Cancer has been something that's been with me for such a long time, but my experience personally with it in my body was really quick, was really quick. Mm. And I consider myself really blessed and lucky and fortunate that that's the case because here's the end of that story, kind of, right? I'm okay. Yes. I'm okay. And I just Mm. want to get that out of the way right away because I think it's important to say that and and to acknowledge that. And there were so many incredible, fantastical things that happened along the way from the moment, from the moment of my diagnosis. Right. And that, I mean, we just said at the top that this only it's, I just looked at our recording. It's literally 11, 11 right now, as you said, I am okay. It turned 11, 11 on the clock. Amazing. So I feel, I feel like I just need to say that if it, if it's meaningful to anybody listening, <laughs> that's it's magic. Um, as you, it, Trevor is holding for my listeners. He's holding up the book, Big Magic Right Now by Elizabeth Gilbert, which if you've been following me long enough, you will know it is like my Bible. It is also Trevor's Bible. And we have more in common as well. Like you and I have spoken about this, of course, um, but that my own mother actually has lived with cancer now since I was 23 years old. Mm. So I'm now almost 40. So we can do the math on all of that. <laughs> and cancer in our life, in my family, in many ways, it sort of shaped everything. It shaped my entire life. That word has been a part of me for a really long time for the good and for the bad, for all of the lessons, but all of the pain as well. And it um, shaped our lives. I think even long before my mom was even diagnosed, she lost both her parents to cancer, many aunts and uncles. It's sort of the story of our family. And we have a a really horrible, dark saying in our family that's about that we suck at living. (laughs) (laughs) as long as you're trying as long as you're trying we do our best we do our very best but when I first heard your story I really I think that's why I felt an immediate connection to you and not just for your own powerful story which as you say Mm -hmm. has only been since the end of 2020 to now which -hmm. we'll get into later of course um and it also includes by the way magical golden goat so I'm just going to put that out there (laughs) that you better stay till the end of this edit because it's a goodie um but because I think our connection is is this big c word it's it's cancer and it seems to be a through line in your life as well starting when you were just a teenager as you say um so let's start there let's talk about your beautiful mother nicole and her journey and how that moment did shape the through line of your life yes absolutely i mean mom was radiant she was vibrant. She was a shit disturber, <laughs> um, as we called her in our family, right? She was an incredible human being. She was a teacher. She was a facilitator. She was born in Quebec. So she had some French Canadian roots. She spoke French. She spoke English. She was my French teacher when I was in grade six. She called me out in class for yawning one day. Trevor, am I keeping you awake? Yes, Madame House. Oh, we, oui, Madame House. Okay, d'accord. Okay. <laughs> You know, um, but she was an incredible human being and was really young when she was diagnosed. And she was in her 40s when cancer crept into her life and then in turn into our life. And it is like a cloud, right, that kind of hangs over you. And back then, this was in the 1990s, one didn't really live with cancer. You mentioned that your mom has been living with cancer. And a lot of that is because the treatments just didn't allow for that. But mom lived as long as she could. And towards the end of her life, she was in palliative care. And I think that's when she truly started to live because she, yeah, she put it out there in the universe that this is actually not okay, that here I am dying of cancer and yet the support systems aren't in place. They weren't back there. So she didn't have anywhere to turn to. She didn't have anyone to go to. She journaled, she journaled. And I actually have her journals and I've been 
reading them over the last wow. several years. Yeah, and I'm still getting my, making my way through them. And she did feel really alone through the whole entire experience. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't imagine being in her shoes. And I thankfully I wasn't. You know, I've learned a lot um, from then to when I was diagnosed with cancer. However, she lived alone. Um, she tried to put it out there into the universe to help others. And she did actually, she really did through different support groups that she eventually created. And she wanted to let people know that it's okay to have cancer, that I might be near the end of my life, but I'm scared. I'm scared shitless, but I'll be okay. Right. So so can so the point of that is cancer has been very close to me and to my family for for a long time for a long time and um mom is definitely up there looking over us <laughs> i can i can li- literally feel her right now like i'm i'm getting emotional thinking about it i can literally feel her as you're talking yeah yeah and um she was very powerful and, and very connected. So as much as she was living through her own story on her own, she still put herself out there as much as she, as much as she possibly could. And what I was in my teens, so I didn't really understand what any of that meant. I didn't understand what any of that meant until much, much, much later in life, how special and incredible she was. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. And you at that age, as well, as you said, you didn't really understand what was going on. I mean, we hindsight's always a beautiful thing. Yes. Um, But talk to me about your reaction at that time. That must've been incredibly difficult for you as a teenager to lose this powerful influence. Well, I shut down, Yeah. you know, as soon as mom told us, and she was very transparent with us, you know, I'm sick. I have cancer. This is what's happening. This is what I'm going through. So as much as she, again, you know, I said she lived through it alone. She communicated, she let us know, but I was a few things. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. I was scared. Those are three really big things. Mm -hmm. And because of that, and because I didn't, you know, I heard the words cancer. I heard the words, I'm sick. There was no Google back then, right? <laughs> right? So I wasn't. Not to, not to date ourselves here, but yes. <laughs> oh, I'm totally da- dating myself, right? <laughs> um, so I, I shut the world away. You know, I closed um, conversations with friends and family before they began because I didn't really want to deal with it, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't really want to deal with it. And I didn't know the power of vulnerability or understand the power of vulnerability I'm still learning that one, to be frank. But back then, that wasn't a thing, right? And I didn't feel like I could be open and honest with what I was going through. And I think largely in part because I wanted mom and my family to not worry about me, that, mm. that to know that, oh, it's okay. I'm strong. Yeah. I'm okay. Yes. You're sick. I'm not. I'm okay. Yes. So when, when cancer came into our life, I kind of, you know, I ran away, but in a very different way than how I ran when I was diagnosed. <laughs> ah, okay. Okay. Yeah. And I, I love that you're sharing this about that shutdown too, because I think, of course, that makes sense to me. I resonate with that deeply because there's this balance you're trying to find when it's a family member between emoting all the things you want to emote and stepping over the pain of somebody so close to you, you want their pain to be bigger in a way. There's almost this like guilt and shame spiral that happens with emotions and talking to this idea even of like the loneliness that she felt on her journey. I mean, this is so key to some of the projects even my mom is currently working on around palliative care being mm-hmm. a palliative care is an end of life care. It should be active care from the moment that the diagnosis is put in place. So that palliation, which is support, that's what it is. It's support that's right. is really brought into families' lives and, and, and patients' lives immediately off the get-go. So thank you for really talking to that point as well. I think it's so critical to obviously these healthcare discussions, but bringing it back to this idea of this vulnerability with your emotions, this shutting down, that translates into many people's lives. And I think there's a lot of listeners out there that will be thinking, maybe I haven't faced cancer, but my own trauma, where I just simply feel like I can't face the pain or 
um, I often say where the hurt just still feels louder than the healing. So you're in the hurt so much and you don't know really where to turn and which way to go. This lesson, as you say, was sort of tested for you in a mm -hmm. really big way over the years, of course. But when you received your own diagnosis, as you just mentioned, take me back to that moment. Well, Anna, <laughs> I want to, can I read something? Can I, read I would something? love for you to read. Okay. Yes, okay. Absolutely. Because this, this is really within 48 hours and Someone, someone once called me a poet. So I'm like, I don't know if I'm a poet. However, let me put some words <laughs> down on paper. Okay. You and are you today. Yeah, I am today. And you might consider this a poem. So it's called, it's not called, here are the words. It starts at 48 hours, things that happened right away. Doctor called, tried me three times, but I was in meetings. Doctor called again. I was in my weekly team meeting. I think I turned my camera off, but I picked up the phone. Then the doctor said, Trevor. The results came back positive for melanoma. I'm sorry, he said. He kept talking. Something about below one millimeters is where good is, but I'm at 1.1 millimeters. I told him, stop talking. Nothing was processing. Truly, it went in one ear and out the other. I went to Luke and I asked the doctor, put him on speakerphone, to start from the beginning. I'm proud I told him to stop. Like, what the fuck? You're expected to absorb and retain information this bad? It's not possible. Then the waiting. Within a couple of days, I was supposed to hear from Sunnybrook for an appointment. For what? I'm not really sure. But there will be a good-sized scar. Scars are hot, right? <laughs> then the call to my best friend, a doctor. She calms me down. No, no, she listens to me, ensures me. Luke doesn't leave my side. Thank God. Is there a God? Will I die? This isn't supposed to happen. The moles just grew together and I'm older now. There are age spots. We're moving to the country. This is supposed to be happy times. Last year was cancer, not this year. All I can think of is Luke and how guilty I feel for doing this to him and people. This isn't fair to him. I don't want him to be alone in the country. That thought makes me cry. I cry when the door's closed or if I'm alone. Be strong. Why? I don't feel sick. I ran this morning. First time in two months since I sprained my ankle. I did it. Will things be okay? Will I train for a marathon through this? Life is short. I don't want to Google. I know enough about it to know what can happen. I am not a statistic. I am not a percentage. I am me. I am individual, I am a person, a human, I have feelings. There was time before Google, that's where I live now, pre-G, let's say. The tree next to me is so beautiful. I'm forever grateful it's there because of Luke, because of us and Malcolm. We have a roof over our heads and brains in our head and shoes on our feet. What happens next? What will the outcome be? I don't know. I feel fine. Strength, family, gratitude, power. <laughs> power indeed. Oh my goodness. Power indeed. I I'm covered in goosebumps. I don't know <laughs> if the listeners out there are feeling the same energy right now. Like, and of course, I'm watching as you're reciting that. Wow. And so raw, so real, and took us through all of it. All That's of it. it anger, the sadness, the, the moments of gratitude, the questioning, the reflection, like 48 hours. That was your first 48 hours. That was it. That was it. And I think what I remember truly is like, it's true. Like you get something that's really negative that you're facing. It's in one ear and out the other. And I was hearing the words. I wasn't expecting to hear you have melanoma, skin, skin cancer, right? Yes. And, and skin cancer, this particular type can be really, really bad. And it can be really bad quite quickly, which is why I'm so grateful that I got exceptional care and things move like at lightning speed, right? So my case is my case. And one of the really important themes that came up during all of this was for those first 48 hours, let's say the first week, like I was like beside myself and I was 
crying and I would close the door. I'd be in the shower and the tears would be rolling. And I'm like, Trevor, like get yourself together. <laughs> I'm like, this isn't, this isn't helping. Yes. But I had to go through those emotions. Of course. And I was in a state of why me? Why me? Why is this happening? And then something just clicked and a switch was flipped. And I went from the train of thought to, why me to this is me. This is me. This is me. It's shitty. It sucks. It's terrible. Again, I felt all the same feelings that I felt when my mom was diagnosed, the shame, the guilt, the embarrassment, all of that. Wow. But something just told me this is not productive, <laughs> right? You need to change your train of thought. And as soon as I did that, things became easier. Yeah. Talk to me really quickly too about the shame. Cause I think people will understand maybe the, the fear of the diagnosis and, mm -hmm. and the uncertainty. Where was the shame for you? Well, the shame I think was really over the 20 years of having the cancer cloud hanging over my head. It was always there. It was always there. Yeah. And the shame was, I don't want to put, I don't want to burden anybody with this. Got it. I don't want to burden anybody with this. And yeah, I could die. <laughs> yeah. And the, it's, yeah. Well, it's so funny to think, I mean, we all want to kind of rush to support and mm -hmm, in the same mm -hmm. fashion, you're like, please don't center me in this. There's something like, that's where the shame lies almost is I don't really need the spotlight. I don't want to be everybody's token burden. That's right. And I didn't want to be the spotlight. I mean, I am a Leo, so a little bit of attention is okay. <laughs> okay, right? But not, but not with cancer. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the why me part though, right? That's the easy part to go to. I also think it's, I think it's the part you need to go to. It is. You need to go through it, but then you need to change your, your mindset, if you will. Yeah, something and something does. I think the process itself is kind of this uncovering anyway of all of the other parts of yourself that you may not have known existed. All of this coping that you had had probably for 20 years that you'd started to sort of slowly figure out and piece together. But we sort of teased this earlier that there was this run. We went on this run and during this run, you had this power of your imagination, I would mm -hmm. like to call it. What was the imaginary moments, the imagination that came through for you? What channeled for you in that terrifying moment? So this will sound a little, I mean, this will, hopefully it will sound funny to everybody, a little bit funny, <laughs> but it'll also sound probably a little far out, right? Because I, I even think it's far out, like where on earth is this coming from? But here's what, here's what it came from. So yeah, not so I on, did- Not on earth, not on earth. Not on earth, no, definitely not. Well, this is not, yes, this is not on earth. It did not come from earth. <laughs> um, my dear colleague and friend, Carrie, suggested when she found out that I had this diagnosis, she, she told me, um, or suggested you should watch this TED talk by Jim Button. Jim is a really good friend of hers and of our companies. And he has been living with cancer for a long time, very serious, serious cancer. And it came the morning of my, my first hospital visit. I was sitting on the sofa. It was lightly raining outside. It was still dark in the morning. I was having coffee and I was really scared. I'm like, Oh fuck, this is it. I am going to completely walk into the unknown here. I've never been to a hospital for a cancer diagnosis. I don't know who I'm speaking with. I don't really know what they're going to do today. I am afraid. And when Carrie told me to watch the TED talk, I was like, whatever. <laughs> I don't need to watch no TED talk. <laughs> However, in that moment of fear, I'm like, oh my God, I have to watch the TED talk. It's the only thing I could think of to do. So I opened up my laptop and I watched the TED talk. And during the TED talk, Jim talked about his team and that resonated with me. I'm like, team? I'm like, yeah, team. That's how I've got to where I am today, you know, professionally and personally. I have a team surrounding me. And then he goes into something fantastical and he goes into unicorns and buffaloes. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But I was listening to this with this open heart and open mind and the fear of the unknown. And I said, okay, 
I'm picking up what you're putting down, Jim, with your magical unicorns and buffaloes, who's you, who are, that's your fantastical support team or part of them. And that's where I finished the video. I closed my laptop and I said, now I have to run. I have to run. I'm not running away, but I'm running into what I'm about to face. I am not running away. I'm running in to what I'm about to face. So I put on my running shoes and I ran. And I was running across the Bloor Street viaduct. Probably not the best time to close my eyes, but I closed my <laughs> eyes and I was still running. Granted for me, running has been form of meditation. So I felt a little comfortable that I could just say, hey, I'm, I have cancer. Close my eyes while I'm running, whatever. So I closed my eyes and the first thing that came to my head was a goat. <laughs> right, a goat, but not just any ordinary goat, a goat with beautiful, long, golden hair, a cartoon goat. And I'm like, okay, what is this all about? So I kept running and the goat was inside my body and the goat was screaming at the cancer inside my body, as goats do, they have that amazing ah! scream, <laughs> right? And the cancer, so the goat with the beautiful golden hair is looking at the cancer. And as the goat screams, the cancer is turning into liquid gold, liquid gold. And as the cancer is falling away from my body, there are tailors, tailors, standing next to the cancer falling off my body. And they're like Whoville tailors, Dr. Zeus, like Whoville, this is what they look like. And they're cutting off the cancer and they're putting it into, into buckets. And these buckets, then they're putting the liquid golden cancer into the most beautiful red and gold hot air balloons. And the balloons are taking this liquefied golden cancer out of my body. Hmm. And that hot air balloon is leaving my body with the cancer and the cancer is being turned into rainbows <laughs> and the rainbows are shooting out into the universe. And I'm like, where did this come from? Definitely, as you can tell, not, not on earth. <laughs> yes, Jim's unicorns and buffaloes inspired me to come up with something fantastical, but I knew I needed as much support as I could get through this. And I'm very fortunate and blessed to have the physical people in my world, but I needed more. Mm. And somewhere along the line, I lost the power of my imagination. Yeah. Right? You get older yeah. and you don't use that part of your brain as much as you once did. And that didn't feel right, hadn't felt right for a long time. But I knew in that moment, dig deep, use your imagination, come up with the best team possible to support you through this. And I really wanted to visualize something inside of me cutting away the cancer. Yeah. This is powerful on so many levels. I mean, I, I can imagine too, even mm -hmm. as, a, as a young man, feeling like your imagination is hardened when reality sets in at a young age, when something really painful happens and you start to, I think we all do this in a way, we start to say, there must be no such thing as beauty and magic because this horrible, painful thing has happened. And we start to move away from our, that compass that just really says we are all of this. We are imagination. We can do all of these things. We can imagine all of these things. We can be all of these things. But the, I think the other really powerful thing here for me is that you had this shutdown for many years mm -hmm. and rebuilding your team. This is just such a huge takeaway. If you're listening, hopefully this kind of resonated out there too, the way it resonated with me is there are other steps you can take if you're feeling potentially like it's hard to ask for help, which it is. It's very hard to ask for help. It's hard to center yourself in a diagnosis, as you said. It's hard to gather your team or to even know who those people are going to be and who's going to be around you in that time and who you need. And you have this bridge that you've created between your visualization of support and the team and the real team that then gets to come in and be a part of this with you. 
And that's pretty profound. This is where that motto that we talked about earlier is like this, you don't have to do this alone. You don't have to do this alone. Yeah. And Whether I, it's goats or people. That's right. That's right. Whether it's goats or people, you don't, you don't have to do alone. And um, my experience with cancer, there are moments you're alone, right? You're in the waiting room alone for a long time and there's no one around you but yourself. So that team that I created helps me through those moments. Again, it's fantastical, but why not? Why not create a fantastical team inside you or around you you know, in your periphery to help you through, I would rather have a fantastical team than have no one and be alone. Uh, (laughs) Totally. And you weren't, I mean, frankly, you are not alone. You mentioned the name Luke earlier. Let's introduce him. Luke is my, yeah, Luke is my partner. Yeah. And we've been together for, oh, 10 years now. And we do live out in the country. We moved out of the city shortly after my diagnosis out of Toronto and 75 minutes into a completely new environment. And we've been together again for 10 years. And we were with Malcolm, Malcolm, our Boston Terrier. Your little doggy. Yes. And I've noticed lately through your social media, of course, that you've lost your precious dog earlier this year. We did. March 11th, Malcolm left us, um, kind of um, not expecting it to happen. And that I'm definitely still working through. He's actually my last official post on Instagram. I know that might sound a little um, sad or come on, just get over it. But uh, Malcolm was our son. Malcolm was our son, right? As a gay, as a gay man. And, uh, and, you know, we don't have children, but our, our furry friends are our babies. Yeah. I'm so sorry for your loss. Um, And knowing that you're in the country really amidst nature now and healing with Luke, of course, (laughs) in addition, of course, to the Malcolm being a part of that story. You also have taken up, this is the strangest segue ever, Anna. You've also taken up bread baking. Is this true? Oh, like we well, all did, I think, in some <laughs> point in the pandemic, you just started making bread. <laughs> bread baking is something that actually came to me around the same time I met Luke 10 years ago. It was, I think bread baking has always been a part of me. <laughs> I swear I'm not this fantastical, but for the, <laughs> honestly, for the longest time, I just thought it was impossible to bake bread at home, really good bread. But then when I started um, to try, imagine what happens when you try to do something, you can't improve, right? Um, <laughs> imagine, when that. I, imagine that. When I found it, it was possible. It's just something that has stuck alongside me for around a decade now. And thankfully it has, because that is one of my special places as well in the kitchen, baking bread. In the kitchen, in the kitchen, in the country. Yes. We have to go here, Trevor, because um, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm just going to let the, the listeners oh. in on a little secret, which is about, I don't know, when did I talk to you last on the phone? It must have, wasn't long ago, maybe within the last few weeks anyway. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and I, I can't even recall even the intention of the phone call now because I laughed the entire way through the call, which was horrendous of me, really, because you were sharing some very, (laughs) very, I guess, kind of ominous things that were happening in the country for you. But there was something about this story that just sort of tickled me a little bit. And I couldn't stop laughing because it was like there was a joy in the way that you were handling serious things. I think that's what it was. I've tried to reflect back on this and say, what was it that was so funny? Also, you're just very funny and you're a great storyteller. So I think that's it. So I'm going to move there now because this is what really had me just giggling for days after, in fact, days after. So (laughs) you moved to the country to get some healing, to get some grounding, to root into your bread baking lifestyle. That's right. Yeah. And all everything that comes with that bread baking lifestyle. And in your beautiful country home, um, you very quickly and during a pandemic as well, of course, because it had to be during a pandemic just to layer on all of the stress. You had an infestation of sorts. Mm -hmm. Talk to me me about your country infestation. Uh, Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) Yes, I'm happy to go there. So, okay, a few things. A few things. The country came first. The country came before the cancer diagnosis in that we knew that we were moving. We knew we were moving and we sold our house in the city, which was during that closing period of time. And then the cancer diagnosis. And it's like, oh, for 
God. Okay. Here we are. <laughs> I really want to just swear a lot there. Just do it. Just for okay. God's sakes. What the fuck? Okay. So um, it's the end of a pandemic. Great. You know, Christmas is coming up. Let's have a good time. Uh, Hi, Trevor, you have cancer. Oh, for fuck's sake. Are you kidding me? Damn it. It's not funny. And then the thought of, oh, great. Now I'm moving to the country. I'm going to die. Luke's going to be alone. Cry, 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 cry. So there's that. And so then I do the whole cancer thing. Of course, and of course, I'm still dealing with the cancer thing. Let's not be fooled, right? Um, but then we move to the country and I'm like, this is amazing. Like I'm looking at the view right now of the beautiful rolling hills in Nor of Northumberland and they're almost green. I'll get into that in a second. And um, this is amazing. I'm like, there's a reason why I moved to the country. Yeah, it's to help healing, heal from the cancer journey and the cancer experience. And I can breathe and there's fresh air and this is amazing. And then Malcolm, our dog collapses on the floor. I'm like, oh no, scream to Luke come in the next day Malcolm's dead oh god <laughs> I'm like Malcolm orchestrated all of this he's like <laughs> I know I'm gonna die so I'm gonna put you in a good place so you can heal from cancer but because you, you're gonna be really sad when I die <laughs> and I am still really sad but whatever you know working through that too um and then we get a new puppy I've been very blessed to have you know Finley a golden retriever she's amazing and then one afternoon I'm outside, it says maybe in middle of May and I'm noticing these little black things everywhere, like creepy crawlers. I'm like, okay, uh, I knew coming to the country there would be bugs. I'm like, I'm like, I was bracing for the bugs, it's okay. And a few weeks prior, we found like our first ticks out there. I'm like, ticks are really bad, they're not good. Let's call the pest control services to take care of that. But then the black things came. So the ticks, who cares about the ticks anymore? What are these black things? Well, these black things are LDD moths. Lamantria, dispar, dispar, moths. And they are an invasive species to the country. And this is the second year of what is typically a multi-year infestation. So these little black creepy crawlers that are around one to two millimeters in length they start crawling on all of the trees and they happen to love oak trees the most most well what is northumberland known for oak trees and why do i say that the rolling hills in front of me look like they're almost green well because the caterpillars have eaten all of the leaves off of the trees and it is funny and we can <laughs> we can totally laugh about it what's not funny about it is these caterpillars get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and then they start crawling up your house like legitimately crawling up your house and I have photos to share and I'm like wait a minute something about this just it actually isn't right <laughs> like <laughs> cancer Malcolm dying all the stuff creeping up the cancer cloud your mom taking you back over 20 years and now the freaking caterpillars like what <laughs> else can happen now here's the thing about oak trees for me this I don't think I shared this with you I haven't shared it with many people but my mom was buried in an oak casket no so for for me the oak trees here were really 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 special mm. and to have them targeted by this invasive invasive species was almost too much, was almost too much, was almost too much. And so I've actually become a little bit of a community champion here. And I, I did something totally random. I think probably the day that we spoke last, I reached out to our local reporter and I said, I think the moths are probably, the caterpillars are, you know, they're quite bad, maybe worse than they've ever been. And that's actually the case. So we're facing a massive, massive investigation challenge and problem. And a reporter actually came out and we had a great interview and the photographer took some photos of our trees or leafless trees and I made the front page of our local newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> this is maybe the part of all this is just so horrifying people are probably thinking Anna how could you possibly laugh all the way through this story which is <laughs> terrifying in so many ways and just so like pulls on every heartstring. I genuinely thought it was something you said to me and it was like 
of all of this, like you lost your mom, you've had a cancer diagnosis, you've lost your dog, you've had this just life story, this rich life story, and your 15 minutes of fame came from moth infestation in the local the f- paper. The 15 minutes of fame, moth infestation, and the 15 minutes of fame is continuing because occasionally I'll, I will have reporters uh, calling for follow-up interviews, which I think is rather rather funny. But it is in the name and in the spirit of helping the community know what to do so we can yes. hopefully get ahead of it for next year. So that's all part of that, that process. And actually right now I'm looking at a moth. So the moths do turn into caterpillars and there are moths flying around everywhere outside and they'll continue to fly for a couple weeks which is not great because moths scare me so much (laughs) i can't even i i mean i truly can't imagine and it's like of all the fantasy the fantastical imaginary things that you've been able to create you are living inside of some weird disney movie right now out there with like a black sky full of moths as well hovering around and yet, I don't, I don't know, I, I hang on to this hope that there's some symbolism in this story. And if the symbolism is only this, that this won't be your first, last, or only 15 minutes of fame based on just the way that you tell that story even, just how profound that is. But all of these takeaways and everything that your life has been about up until now, I really do believe in some way that you are kind of like a butterfly to all of us you are and this is why I just adore you so much is there something about these stories of pain that you share that you I want to say there's like hope infused in them somehow and I don't know if you know that but there's some hope infused in everything that you say whether intentional or not there's I would define you frankly as just hope you you remind me of hope and I I don't know how else to better articulate that. So I'll just kind of leave it there before I get kind of choked up about it. But you remind me of hope. You remind me of somebody who can kind of take us through difficult times. And I'm so grateful even to have you here. But we're not going to close up this recording just yet because we haven't yet talked about Elizabeth Gilbert and yes. this book, Big Magic, which connects you and I in, in a, a yet another way. But something about this book, I'm just going to share this with my audience in case you haven't been following me for years and hearing me preach about this, that um, I read this book when I was in kind of deep pain myself, when I was terrified, I was in my shame, I was in my fear around my own personal diagnoses and like, how do I move through the world now being this quote unquote broken person, this shadow of who I was before. And I had absolutely no idea how to, like truly I was busting at the seams to kind of share my story and talk and help people the way that um, you would do as well, right? If this story can just help one person, that's kind of where I was at, that calling. Mm -hmm. But I had no idea how to break through my own fear. And I read this book, Big Magic, which is old now, a few years old, and quite literally had a transformational experience with it. Everything about this book spoke to me and it was like saying, listen, we don't need to be afraid of fear. It ain't going anywhere. It's sticking around, but there are ways to find kind of, plug in the word hope again through it. There's ways to find that courage, not in absence of fear, but actually just in communion with fear. And there's ways that we can take these ideas and not put pressure on this creativity and this fantasy that we have, but really allow it to be almost like a a guidepost, a pathway through the really scary things that happen in our life. And it's really been a foundational piece of what I teach and a foundational piece of my company. But talk to me about its symbolism to you, like big plugs to Liz Gilbert here too, but (laughs) talk to me just about what maybe what your greatest takeaway was from this book. Well, first of all, thank you for the hope comment. That is something, that's one of the nicest things anybody's ever said to me. And so thank you. You're welcome. And I believe that hope is so important in our, in our life because without hope, really what, really, what do we have? We have many things, but hope is, hope is very, very important to my story, certainly. Yes. Big magic. You know what? I guess the, the word... <laughs> is right on the cover and that's magic. And I don't mean that in a pull a rabbit out of a hat kind of way. Yeah. What I mean by it is open heart, open mind. You never know what's around the corner. 
and anything is possible. Mm. And you can't do it alone. Yes. <laughs> right? Central, central theme here. You really mm. can't do it alone, but you need to be open to the possibilities. Confession, I don't know, I don't know Elizabeth Gilbert. I've never met her. You have met her. I've never yeah, met her. Fortunate enough, yeah. And I am not a big reader, right? And this is the only book I've read more than once. And I have earmarked so many pages and I'm reading it again right now, actually, because everything within it resonates with me too. And I think it is about listening to your inner self yeah, and to others and don't take yourself too seriously yes. is another really big theme in this book. And I encourage people to read it. It's a really easy read and it really resonated with me. And I told you a few weeks ago that it is like my Bible too. Yeah. It really and it does. is about creative living and I never, that's part of losing my imagination, right? When I was a kid, I was imaginative. I had big dreams, big hopes. Mm-hmm. And then something along the line happens and you lose that. And to have a book remind me that it's okay to, to revisit your imagination and to use it to help you move forward. Well, that resonated with me. I thought yes. that's a book I can read over again. <laughs> yes, I've read it so many times and I'm, it's literally littered with like post-it notes and pen marks oh, yeah. written in the margins. I just, I absolutely destroy my favorite books in the be- most beautiful way. I yeah. destroy them. But the word that keeps coming to mind is you're talking to from this book, but also from my personal experience, from listening to stories like you, the word that comes to mind is like continue. Like there is, we can keep taking a step forward. We can pers- kind of persevere through some of these things. We just have to continue. And I know, and I hope with that word continue in my heart, mm-hmm. that we know for sure you will continue, of course, regular cancer checkups. This is not the end of a journey That's for you. That's correct. But one, you will take your goats through with you. That's right. On viaducts or hospital visits or wherever, wherever, <laughs> those golden goats. Doesn't you will, of where. course, of course, continue baking. Mm-hmm, absolutely that's a part of my soul it's a part of your soul continue of course loving luke your beautiful partner and that's right. the beautiful finley and the legacy of nicole and malcolm and yes. anyone else who we've lost of course to this big c word um i hope too though i will end on this note i hope that you continue storytelling i hope you continue to share and i hope that you continue to provide hope for everybody, not just my listeners, but the world at large. I think there's beautiful magic, big magic in your future. And I'm so grateful that you have been here. And I'm so grateful to be even just a small part of your life now. Oh, well, thank you, Anna. It's been an absolute pleasure. And if I have inspired anybody today, if you're listening, when you listen, that is, that's magic and that's amazing and keep doing incredible things. And thank you. That's a beautiful way to end. Thank you. Thank you, Trevor. I'm not entirely sure how to even wrap this edit. It was so big and so profound for me. I hope it was for you listening out there. I mean, of course it was. I can just feel it. I can feel it when it's big. And this was big. Trevor's story has touched my heart in many, many ways. As I shared earlier, This there's a lot of crossover in our personal stories. Lots of crossover, actually, between even his mother, Nicole, and my own mother. And their vision and view about bringing people uh, to the diagnostic process, helping with the palliation, making palliative care, active care, Uh, All of those beautiful things that I'm hopeful that our medical system will be improving on over time, over and over and over again, as more people are living with cancer, living with cancer. But more than that, um, I just wanted to kind of cement this point, the one that is living in my heart right now after this conversation, which is this continue, the word continue. 
And often words are just kind of channeled to me as I hear story. And this one feels really big. The word hope, the word continue. And the word, I think, and I hope I am getting this right directly from kind of the channeled part of my heart, mind, and soul right now. The word transform. There's something about what Trevor said about transforming his cancer into gold and imagining and visualizing that there is this point at which, yes, there is hope beyond and we can continue, but we can continue in order to transform, whether that's transforming a story that we currently hold, patterns in our lives, mindsets or beliefs, core values, core beliefs, whatever. We can transform what we think and what we feel and what we believe into healing. We can turn our pain into purpose. It's not required of us. There's no obligation to do that. But if you know, you know that you've had that moment when the hurt at one point was louder than the healing and slowly something happens and the healing or the desire to heal others, that call into service becomes just a little bit louder than the hurt. And there's no way to describe it other than that. It's like this moment of transformation that occurs in, I think, many human lives, many powerful personal stories, especially painful ones, when we just have that moment, that calling to share so that we can be part of someone else's team, someone else's support team, right? Maybe we share a TED Talk that changes somebody's perspective and actually helps them through a journey. Who knows? The power of transforming our hurt into healing for self and others. The magic, where the magic lies, is always, always in story. Until next time. Thank you for joining this edit of the Unapologetic Stories podcast. If you're ready to share your truth and rewrite your personal life story, connect with me at unapologeticstories.com for all the details on speaker training, storytelling, and strategizing your way through this one big life. If you've enjoyed listening, we would love for you to leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast listening app or Apple Podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Unapologetic Anna for new speaker training start dates. Until next time, stay brave, stay unapologetic, and keep bringing in your truth.